Stands in the field With his ball and bat Says I am the greatest Player of them all Puts his bat on his shoulder And he tosses up his ball And the ball goes up And the ball comes down Swings his bat all the way around The world's so still You can hear the sound The baseball falls To the ground Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here today for episode 304 by my host, my the star of the show, Jim Rooney. This is Toe the Rubber. Uh, just want to thank our audience before we introduce our special guest here today. We do have a guest on the show today, but to our 50,000 plus subscribers, we just want to thank you for your support. Because of your push, we're now the latest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. We hope we have a great episode for you, all 74 countries. The listeners uh, have been great across the board. Uh, special episode today for all you 74 countries listening to us, grassroots MLB front offices. Uh, all we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ out there. And because of your push, we're allowed to do that on a, on a larger platform. Keep streaming on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. But make sure we let App, uh, iHeart know that we're serious about getting our, our shot and our cup of coffee, cup of coffee in the bigs right now because we do battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. And with that, I uh, want to introduce Jim. Jim Rooney, welcome back to your show. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Doing great. And I'll, uh, I'll introduce our guest uh, for you today and let you guys get rocking and rolling on, the, on uh, putting a little, I guess, putting our, our talk to music a little bit. There's some special projects going on that we're going to get to today. But special guest today, uh, 35 years as a licensed physical therapist, managing orthopedic and sports injuries. Columbia University Director of Sports Therapy for 15 years and a member of the medical staff of the New York Yankees. Uh, we won't hold that against you today. Got 31 years over 500. That's what they're touting right now. Uh, been a rehabilitation consultant for the Knicks, the Timberwolves, and Oklahoma City Thunder, among others. And as we found out this morning, uh, did a little work with one of our star hosts on one of our other shows, Cotts Corner, Jim Cott, and golfed with him. And I learned from Jim that he was the, I think, the Guinness Book of World's Record. He's the only one to shoot his age both lefty and righty, I think when he was 77. So he's got a little bit of that, but I guess you've golfed with him, Vinny, so you know. So I want to welcome Vinny Perez to the show. Vinny, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah. And um, just just for our audience now, just kind of bring us up to speed. I gave a little bit of a background, probably didn't do it justice, had, had some great uh, great accolades there, and you've worked with a number of tremendous uh, sports franchises. And uh, catch us up to speed on what you're working on right now. So I have my own private practice now for the past 13 years, and my practice is a little different from a normal physical therapy practice. Uh, my practice right now is exclusively for athletic kids. So I am fully dedicated to the development and the protection of the young athlete. Uh, because of my professional background, the bulk of my business is in baseball. Probably 80% is baseball. Uh, but I obviously, I see athletes in any other sport, which really keeps it interesting. And Unfortunately for the baseball kids, the bulk of those kids in my office are pitchers. So roughly half of my practice is, is rehab, non-op, post-op, and the other half is on performance and prevention programs, probably with a little bit more push on the prevention side than most of the programs. Yeah, that's fantastic because that's what we need out there. And Jim's show brings that to our audience every single week. Uh, it talks about not just his theories and models, but practical ways for kids and parents to become the first educator as it pertains to their arm. Oh, with that, Jim, I'll turn it over to you. Let you let you get rolling with Benny. Well, thank you, Dave. 
Uh, Vinny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, one, one of the things that we try to do here uh, on this podcast, as Dave has, has stated, is uh, just give practic- practical knowledge to the parents and the young players and the young coaches on how to do things correctly with a thought process of preventing problems from occurring to trying to be proactive instead of being reactive. Um, from, from your perspective, we've talked um, quite a few quite a few times on uh, the rise of injuries in adolescent athletes, especially baseball pitchers and baseball players. From your perspective and your experience, why do you think the rise has occurred so drastically? Well, the first thing you said, Jim, I thought is very interesting. We have gotten so good at, at managing situations once they arise. Our surgical procedures have gotten really good and our post-operative care has gotten really good. And I think we return players to previous levels of play at the highest level we ever had in history. But the prevention part continues to lag. It's, it's kind of hard to convince people to try to prevent something that may never happen. Some people bite in and some people don't. Um, but the big issue with the injuries is, if from my end, it just always seems to be too much, if I can summarize it briefly. Too many months of throwing, too many innings, too many pitches per inning um, on typically much younger, skeletally immature frames that are just not ready to handle this. They've been poorly prepared. Um, their time has spent more throwing as opposed to preparing to throw. And uh, I, I just think that they're they're chasing other kids, bigger kids, unfortunately, they're chasing velocity, which I know is something you're going to want to get to later, but that's been a big problem also. I just feel like in some way, it's just too much. It's just too much, especially with the younger kids. Do you agree with that? Is that what you're seeing too? Yes. Yes. We, we've spoke about that many times. Um, As part of that process, when you're saying as far as too much, do you have a recommended um, period of time that you want your clients that are there on the prevent, trying to do the preventive measures to not throw, to not pick up a baseball? So uh, we're up in, I'm in the New York area. So um, our summer ball typically ends the middle of August. So the kids that train with me year round, usually I give them a total shutdown period from the middle of August to the end of September, six weeks of nothing, no working out, no training, no hitting, no throwing, nothing. Just relax. Let your body recover. Um, most of the kids are a little on the thin side, so we start start putting some weight on them and give them some some time to transition back to school. Uh, usually, I try not to have these kids touch a baseball from the middle of August to the first Monday of January. Um, <clears throat> some of the winter pitching programs start a week or two earlier, so we'll cheat a few kids a little bit earlier into December, but I like three to four continuous months off of no throwing whatsoever. It's Sometimes it's well-received, and as you know, sometimes it's not. Right. Where where do you find the the most uh, blowback for what you're trying to establish in, in your community? Um, I think it's dad. If I'm answering your question correctly, I think it's dad. You know, the coaches are always trying to they're trying to push fall ball and there's fall pitching lessons and all that. But a lot of it comes down to the kid, <clears throat> um, comes down to the parents. And I feel like they're always trying hard to try to keep up or excel based on some of their peers. But um, a lot of the fathers are really not, um, we'll use the word cooperative. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, do, do you think 
you know, besides the time off, is there, when you talk about your preventive measures, what do you see as the, especially in the younger age group to start, let's say the little league age, you know, 10 to 12 years old, what do you see the thing that uh, is most important as far as in, in their development moving forward? I feel a lot of those kids are typically very small and they're very weak. They're very thin. And I don't think they have the strength um, to make some of the longer throws. I, I think they move up to the big field at a very young age. And if you watch the throwing mechanics of the kid from third to first, he has a really tough time. You know, he, he still throws like a little kid. He's trying to push the ball, um, which leads to a low elbow, which leads to significant elbow stress. The shoulder can't handle it. Um, they're really weak. A lot of these kids are really weak. They're young enough that they don't have enough testosterone in their system. So to build strength is a very long and strenuous process. And I don't think everybody has the patience for that. But for for 11, 12, 13-year-old kid, it's going to take him six months to build the same strength that it takes a 16-year-old kid to build in two. I think that's a great point, Vinny. You know, I want you to kind of couple those last two answers you gave. And when you're talking to that dad... And believe me, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm uh, a coach collegiately for 20 plus years, played, played minor league baseball, played college basketball, and I can't get through to these parents sometimes. Um, I, you know, you would think that would be enough to say, I'm a dad too. And look, look how I'm handling my kids. I'm shutting them down. They're playing multiple sports. When you have that dad that's in front of you, that has such an, there's such an inertia for immediate success. How do you slow them down? I'm not sure I figured that one out yet. Um, a lot of my training clients started with me as rehab clients and they saw how much better they were and how much better they played and how they stayed healthy. So they chose to stay. So I think I have the added benefit of, of achieving some success already. And there's a level of trust. Um, and I think I get to the point where they understand that I would never steal them wrong, even if I'm telling them something uh, that they don't like. Uh, and, and my recommendations, when you look at my recommendations, typically I have nothing to gain and them being shut down. You know, this is for their benefit. So on, on the people that I don't know, or most importantly, don't know me, it's it's a tough sell. So if I'll have a kid for a few years, the first year, maybe he'll shut down for two weeks instead of six, and then he'll start throwing in October instead of January. And then the next year, it'll be a little bit more close to where I wanted it to be. So sometimes it takes a little steps, but these steps are in big stages. It's not a three or four week time frame. So, it, you know, you kind of hope the kid doesn't get hurt in the interim. Yeah. You would think with your office being mostly prehab, but having some rehab in there, they would get the visual of what, what it looks like when somebody doesn't do it the right way and doesn't take time off. Uh, you would think that would be enough to wake them up. How, how do you feel about the multi-sport athlete? So the multi-sport athlete's interesting. I love it. I think it's great. I think that a lot of the injuries that I'm seeing, and I'm seeing a tremendous number of arm injuries in, in the 13 to 15-year-old. So those injuries are typically not occurring in the multi-sport athlete. Uh, it's not the same stress over and over again for the whole year round. And I think it's fabulous, and I totally encourage it. You know, every once in a while, I have a little bit older kid, maybe 16. He says, look, I want to play basketball. You think it's a good idea? And I said, yes, it's great. He goes, but do you think this will interfere with my my training for baseball? And the honest answer is yes. So now the kid is stuck. So he asked me two different questions which contradict each other. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm a big fan. I think kids should play other sports. I have more kids doing it now. And I think, you know, those kids are going to stay healthy because of it. They'll be better athletes also. Yeah, well, I agree. I, I, I got the f good fortune of being a two-sport athlete as a college 
a college player and, and it was uh, exhausting, but I think it made me a better, uh, better player in both sports, uh, as long as you can do it and, and, you know, stay healthy. Got one more question, Jim, for, for Vinny, you know, that the, there's blowback on the parents' side. You got the kid that's, you know, we're supposed to be handling the right way on the travel side. You got this exploding industry of travel sports, uh, obviously lots of money being made from, it. and I know Jim talked, Jim talked to you a little bit in the, in the preamble here, but, um, how, how much cooperation are you getting from them? Um, <laughs> or is that a double-edged sword there? You may not want to go. I'm not really sure I'm getting a lot of cooperation from anybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, I, I think I have a little bit more trouble um, with the high school seasons. I think that, the you know, fortunately for me, I seem to get some of the better kids. So they're either the one or the two pitchers on their team. And by the time high school season's over, you know, a, a high school sophomore or junior, he's at 55 or 60 innings, whereas in my opinion, he should be at 40 innings. So, you know, once the high school coach recognizes his horse, he kind of rides until the end. Um, and then that kid will get hurt in the summer because he's already showing up fatigued. And then the high school coach says, well, it didn't happen on my watch. It's not my fault, except, you know, it did. Um, I think that the, the issue with the travel thing is that the, the communication between the, the family and the coaches needs to be a little clearer. If he's playing on multiple multiple travel teams, which I still see, I'm surprised that, but I still see that. And the dad kind of needs to tell the tra- travel team too that he just pitched 50 pitches for travel team A uh, or number one two days ago, and that communication is just not happening. Yeah, no, I get. But they got to win that ring, though, right? They got to win that ring. But uh, Jim, go ahead. Sorry, I. I no, what I, Dave, what I find very interesting at the, the initial part of uh, Vinny's answer was that uh, about the kids being undersized, some of the younger guys, and not necessarily having the proper strength to throw a baseball efficiently. Uh, Vinny, going back to one of the initial podcasts that we had here, um, I, I speak with all the clients and the parents, and one of the things I bring up right off the, the start is um, – you know, when you first start to learn this game of baseball, uh, they, they're nice enough to let you go on a smaller field, but they give you the same baseball that they use in the big leagues, Where, whereas other sports put you on a smaller field and a smaller ball. And when you're younger, you're not strong enough to create force, let alone control force to, you know, to apply it to the baseball, whether you're trying to hit it or you're trying to throw it. Um, so that's kind of the analogy that I use as far as trying to get that point across and, and the importance of, uh, learning how to move efficiently instead of learning how to move powerfully when you're first learning how to play the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think for me, I, I don't understand the rush. And people like the rush of what? The rush of everything. Like why move the kids so quickly up to the bigger field? Why turn a kid, you know, who's struggling to throw 50 pitches into a kid who can throw 80 pitches? Why the big rush to the hundred pitch thing? Why, the 90 miles per hour target or 95, maybe now, like, I, I, I don't know why we just don't let these things happen a little bit more organically, which I think will be safer. It just seems like we're kind of pushing the kids a little faster than maybe they should. And some kids can be pushed. Some kids are, are big and they can handle it, but lots of them are not. And I got to tell you, my office is filled with young, skinny kids. The bigger, thicker kid, he's not getting hurt quite as much. Correct. Correct. I see that on a daily basis with my 10 year old son. Um, you know, Seamus, he's, he's five foot two. He's athletic, 
but he's slender right now. And uh, when you see him play other sports, things kind of flow. But then you put him on the baseball field, he resembles a baby giraffe, and he's all arm and legs, and he goes and throws the ball across the diamond, and you can see the things that uh, potentially go wrong. Um, you know, Dave kind of hit on it with the multi-sport question. Um, can you can you kind of expound on the, the whole concept of early specialization and, and why is, uh, you know, why do you see, why do you think parents and coaches see this need for the baseball player playing year round or training year round? or specializing in baseball. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? And uh, which which are the major overuse injuries that you see occurring because of that early specialization? Uh, I, I think that's a, I think it's a great, my thoughts are it's a great question. Um, and it, I'm not sure I have a good answer or any answer at all. Um, and I also think it's a huge problem. Um, you know, when I was young, a long time ago, it, it never happened. You know, we didn't have all these leagues. We didn't have these training facilities. You, you know, you played baseball in the spring, in the summer. You played basketball, soccer, or whatever in the fall, in the winter. You played football in the fall. You kept moving, so your stresses were different. Um, I, I think, I, I think that some kids try other sports and and they fail. And if they're not good at it, they won't have fun. If the kid's not having fun, he shouldn't be playing. And I get that. Um, but I'm not sure they're giving it a full try. Um, because you can't be good at something the first time. If you are, obviously that's your sport, but I'm not sure that should be determined at age 12. Um, there's there's lots of opportunities now for the kid to participate in the sport of his choice that didn't exist in the past. Training facilities, winter programs, more fall ball. I never heard of fall ball before, you know, whatever, 15 years ago. Um, so I just think those opportunities are there and the kid's going to gravitate to what he's good at because it'll be more fun. And I get it. But the stresses on a young arm are way too much. You know, going back to the previous point, I think that we do a decent job. I don't want to say good. We do a decent job of limiting pitch counts to age groups. But within the age group, I do think that that pitch count should be modified for the size of the kid. And, and I think that would go a long way of, of helping prevent some of these things. Give the kid a chance to develop. Um, maybe there should be more instruction when the kids are younger improper technique as opposed to just reps. Um, Jim, you could probably speak to that far better than I can, but I just, it seems like kids are playing and coaches, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're managing more than coaching, but you know, I'll see a bunch of kids in my office and they're throwing mechanics are horrible. No surprise. Half these kids or three quarters of these kids have scars on their arms. Yes. Yes. Um, one of, one of the things that we've gone over many Many different times is, um, especially in the in the with pitchers, but even everybody on the ball field is, uh, you know, proper throwing mechanics and the drills and the different things that we try to get across in order to throw properly. And when we learn to throw properly, then the opportunity comes that we may focus on being a pitcher. Uh, but that comes in time. Uh, there's far too many young kids are they're the pitcher or they want to be the pitcher and they haven't even learned how to throw the ball properly. And that's the next thing, you know, they start acquiring um, extremely inefficient movement patterns because they're trying to create a force that one, they can't create um, in a natural way. I call it forced velocity. It's all effort. Um, 
But we, we live in this world now that everything you hear, I mean, you even hear it on the major league level, the, the, the critics of major league baseball, all the way down to the amateur side about this complete sellout for velocity. Throw it farther, throw it faster, hit it harder, hit it faster. Um, when we take that path in our development, what are the major factors? What are the major type of injuries that you're now um, seeing coming into your facility due to that whole mentality? Well, that's a quick answer to me. UCLs. I see UCLs that run the gamut from full Tommy Johns to augmented primary repairs um, to partial tears requiring PRPs to, and lately I've had a bunch of what I call a stretch. Clearly the UCL is involved in all your testing, but nothing shows up on the MRI every time the guy, the kid tries to throw, he has pain. Um, but UCLs are really the biggest problem in the younger age group. You start getting into later high school um, and into the college age group. Um, then you're starting to get more shoulder injuries as well, which everything ends up with surgeries also. Uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of the chasing for velo. I think that the way this is being done, we're generating a generation of hard throwers, um, but kids that don't know how to pitch. So I've always, I'm, old, I'm an older person. I'm an old school guy. I'm a big believer in effective pitching. If you get the guy out, you get the guy out. I don't care. You threw three fastballs at 95 and you got one pitch ground ball out. Um, and I think we're getting away from that. I think the kids love – the kids want to do what they see on TV. Kids, Everybody's throwing 95 in the majors now. And unfortunately, their rate of Tommy Johns are way up also. But nobody's afraid of it anymore because most kids come back. So I'll give you a, a little stat. So the doctor that I work with most closely with this is Dr. Chris uh, Ahmad at, at Columbia, who's a doctor for the Yankees. And I see the bulk of his Tommy Johns come in my office. So the success rate for these in his hands is 90%. Nine out of every 10 kids will come back uh, at the same level or better. And I think that's phenomenal. But, you know, one out of 10 kids is not going to make it. So Dr. Ahmad, because of his position with the Yankees, does a lot of these. So he's probably doing 30 to 40 of these maybe a, a, a month. Maybe he's doing almost 10 a week. That's two, three, four kids every month that aren't going to pitch again, which doesn't sound bad unless it's your kid. How, how much of it, Vinny, is you mentioned these kids see the major leagues throwing hard and they want to throw hard. How much is it of these kids or even some of these, uh, I'll call them pitching coaches lightly, uh, we're, we're lucky to have Jim in the, enter that world to help these kids out, but how much is this of them trying to emulate the exercises, the mechanics, the output that these adults are doing when they're 10, 11, 12 years old? Oh, I think that's huge. That's a great point. I think that's a huge thing. I don't think you can train a young kid the same way you train a grown man. And, you know, the major league, by the time you make it to the major leagues, physically, you are a grown man. Um, I think the stresses on the body are handled differently. Um, you know, I, I see 12, 13-year-old kids throwing 85 pitches. We yank a 26-year-old man out of the game at 85 pitches. I don't know how you could think that that's okay. Um, they can't be trained the same, Dave, to answer your question directly. Uh, my training programs are a little different, as I discussed with Jim earlier. I have a heavy bent on prevention early on. And then as we progress through either the months or the years, we'll shift once the kid shows me something that's that's a, a little safer and he can handle what he's doing. But case in point, you know, if you let a high school kid go to the gym, work out on his own, in his conscious mind, he's thinking baseball, subconscious, he's thinking beach body because he's 16 or 17. So he's doing lots of bench press and curls, which really don't do anything for his pitching. 
Yeah. Well, the programs are off. The kids are trying. I give them major kudos for effort, but um, proper guidance, proper information, I think, would be very helpful. And and unfortunately, you pay some people at these facilities for that, and you're still not getting it. Yeah. And when you're talking about your client base, just to remind our audience, you're talking when you said J- Jim asked you what's the major thing you see come through, and you said UCL. You're handling kids. You got kids yes. coming in, young kids all the way up to high school. Those are still babies, and yeah. I kind of laughed. I'm like, I guess that ages myself too. But I'm thinking like UCL. I mean, the biggest thing I think I maybe sprained ankles or bruised knees or, um, but I mean, this is getting pretty deep on these kids. I had 14 clients yesterday for the day. Nine of them were UCLs. Seven of them were under the age of 17. Oh boy, poor oh, boys, right? That's unbelievable. It's not good. I mean, Vinny, I've I've read some recent research where the you know the climb, the uh, the drastic climb in the number of UCL UCL problems in young players, but when you just stated thirty to forty a month, yeah. that's completely insane. Yeah, I, uh, he does, I think he operates two days a week. I'm going to guess he does maybe five mm-hmm. a day. So, so conservatively, I think, I mean, yeah, maybe I should have asked him before I said anything, but I'm guessing he's doing seven to 10 a week. So maybe it's 25, 30 a month. That's unbelievable because and a significant number of those are high school or younger. Yes. And that's the part that scares me the most. Yes. And when, and when you're even talking about high school or younger, you know, one of the, one of the papers I read recently was the, you know, the unbelievable climb in the number of, uh, Tommy John surgeries for 13 and 14 year olds, 14 and 15 year olds. It's just like off the charts. Um, what's been your experience as far as most of those cases, in my opinion, um, is it's not just this acute injury that happens on one pitch. There's a, there's a buildup process to this. Could you explain how this buildup process occurs in the, uh, the younger crowd of like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Yeah, Jim, you're totally right in your assessment. This isn't a one-time snap. This isn't like an ACL that blew out because you cut once. Um, this is a slow wearing away of time, which sounds very odd in a 13 to 15-year-old kid. Um, but the two things I find that have the highest correlation with UCL injuries is the pitching volume, the throwing volume, which we discussed earlier. Um, and the second thing is arm mechanics, low arm slot. So your shoulder will function maximally at 90 to 95 degrees of abduction. And I've seen some of your work, Jim, so I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, but most of these kids are significantly lower. So what that happens is then, then your shoulder is not able to handle the workload of the arm. So that gets bounced to an elbow and you put side loads in on an elbow that is only designed to bend and straighten. And that's it. So Dr. Maud is one of his famous lines is, you know, your UCL is the size of a shoelace. Like you, you're trying to hold your elbow together with a shoelace throwing that hard that many times. So the, the correlation for me is unbelievably high in these kids with flat arm slots. So everybody, thank God now for the phones, everybody's got video or photos on the phone. So we sit together with, with the kid. I sit with their parents and I show them what the arm slot is instead of just giving them my opinion. I actually show it to them. So I show them how to look at it because they, when people look at their three-quarter arm slot, they're using either a vertical or a horizontal reference, but the kid's shoulders are tilted away from the arm side pretty significantly so. So if you tilt the phone 
So the shoulder line is horizontal, then you really see where the arm slot is. And then you can see that he has the aha moment, his eyes get big, he's like, wow, I had no idea. And that's all the time, especially in the younger kid, all the time. Yes, around here at Total Rubber, we uh, the aha moment we call our pitching epiphanies. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But uh, yes, in, in fact, I mean, I, I can't agree more with what you just said. A couple episodes back, we spent an entire episode on the proper elbow positioning and the throwing mechanic. And, and uh, earlier you had stated in our conversation that pushing moment uh, pushing movement of that low elbow or that lead elbow, a lot of times I refer to as that catapult action. Um, because the thing is, is the sec the second that elbow starts to lead uh, the 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 arm action, the throwing mechanic, that elbow that elbow leaks in front of that shoulder in the throwing process. If the if the shoulder was now going to internally rotate properly, they'd be throwing the ball, um, you know, ten feet to their glove side. Uh, so what happens is the, the body knows they got to throw the ball straight. So all of a sudden you have that pushing catapult action to get the ball back online. And as you've stated there, um, the stresses and the, and the, and the buildup of uh, workload and problem on the elbow over time then becomes catastrophic. Yeah. I think you brought up a good point too. Your body will find a way. The body's quite intelligent. It will find the best way to get this done, not the best way, it'll find the easiest way to get this done. So it finds the quick and easy cheat, but not necessarily the best cheat for the long term. So what I'm finding is the kids who have bad mechanics have had bad mechanics all along, but they've been affected. So the attitude with the coaches is usually, well, if it's not broken, let's not fix it. So by the time I get him at, at 16 or 17, he's got a big scar on his elbow now. We look at the mechanics. And I was like, dude, this is, this is not good. Do you see this? And he said, I see it. Well, how long has this, you've been thrown like this? Oh, I've been thrown like this forever. And nobody said anything. He says, no. Well, you know what? One they of, see it, but they kind of let it go. Right. Well, one of the craziest things is, is you know, you're, you're referring to uh, young teenagers, but uh, a friend of the shows um, who Dave knows very well also, uh, Justin Orendorf, has created this uh, DVS system. It's now called the DVS X-Ray to try to um, – analyze proper pitching mechanics and quantifying and, and uh, percentage or ratios of, of chances of getting injured mm-hmm. due to the improper mechanics. Um, it's in its initial stage of development and we've, I've spoken to Justin about it, but he had a post around the time of the amateur baseball draft this year, which I believe was in July because they backed it up a little bit. And he ran the top four college pitchers eligible for the amateur draft this year. Um, the number one guy being Paul Skeens of uh, LSU, who I believe went in the first round, the first pick to uh, the Indians, I believe. I'm, I may not be correct on the team. And even dating back to my years as pitching coordinator, the difficulty in the development process, especially nowadays, is so Justin Orndorff or the pitching coach or the pitching coordinator or, you know, uh, outside consultant, whatever it is, identifies a problem in the throwing mechanics. But who's who's brave enough to, uh, <laughs> to make an adjustment because we just gave the guy ten and a half million dollars. That's a great that's a great point to get out. Right. Yeah. 
Um, so sometimes what happens is people may have identified the problem, but how are we going to approach approach you know applying an answer, applying a plan uh, to put that you know together? Um, I think that would require more cooperation than we've seen so far. Yes, very difficult, very difficult. Well, accountability also. Yes. Yes. Um, you asked me earlier what the younger kids with the injuries, what injuries we see. So in addition to the UCL, there's a there's a very relatable, uh, a closely related injury that occurs. It's and it's a, um, a they they technically they call it little leaguer's elbow, but it's a disruption of the medial epicondyle where the UCL um, attaches. So in the much younger kid, what I've found in the last several years, and I've gotten a lot of these, is that the the, the bones are softer than the ligament. So instead of the ligament tearing, the ligament actually pulls the nub of bone right off the bone. Um, and, and they shift, and sometimes they shift bad enough to have to put a big, long screw in a 12-year-old arm. It's crazy. Yes, yes. And then the, the, craziest, the craziest part about that is because I've come across it many times sitting in a draft room, is you're comparing two pitchers that you might be drafting and you know giving a couple million dollars to because they're going early in the draft in the early rounds and that person's medical comes up and I can remember five to six different cases where that young high school pitcher already has a screw in his elbow. Yeah. And now, Oh, how do we, how do we manage now that this guy has a screw in his elbow and compare them to the other guy that might not be as good, but doesn't have a screw in his elbow. And, you know, it wreaks havoc in the whole process. And I don't think that parents or young coaches are thinking about that when they realize um, something drastic is happening and we have an elbow injury. You know, we're, we're the a lot of times you see parents, one of the insane statistics I saw was that uh, uh, one of the leading orthopedics uh, in our area had discussed that he had parents coming into his office requesting a Tommy John on their 15-year-old. Prophylactically. Yes, because they thought they were going to be better pitchers after. Am I allowed to use the word stupid on this? Yeah, well, sure, you can go worse. Oh, that's, that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Unfortunately, stupid is one of my favorite words. But when I hear that, I, I don't think my eyes can roll back in my head any further. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the thing. Now, with you seeing all the new modern techniques and and – and a higher success rate in, let's say, Tommy John surgery. Do you still, is it still viable information to think that uh, the individual who recovers, let's say the 90, 90% of the individuals that you spoke of, do they have super tendon for five years? Is, is there still a, a, a time period that, that used to be talked about, let's say, you know, five to 10 years ago? Um, I don't, I don't know if the ligament itself, the new ligament itself is any less vulnerable than the old one was. Um, and I explained to people, they don't understand how does this make you stronger? It's not the surgery that makes you stronger. It's all the work. So it's it, the, the Tommy John kids I get, they're with me for, you know, two or three days a week for nine to 12 months. If you did this work before you would have been here in the first place. You know, all the rehab, all the strengthening, all the prep, but also the mechanical issues, the management and the balance of your volume. So if we'd done this prophylactically, um, I think a lot of these surgeries would be avoided. 
I, I kind of feel that that really is the point of the whole thing. How That's do we stop message. this from happening? That's the best message right there to the parents. So just so the people listening in the audience, we've got I mean, youth coaches all the way up to, to pro front offices. The kid got stronger, not because they had the Tommy John surgery, but because of the work that was put in following it. And that work could have been put in prior to eliminate the surgery itself. Uh, so I think that's a key distinction. I'm glad you made that that point loud and clear. Let's say, let's say, Vinny, I brought my my son in. I've got I've got two boys, uh, ninth grader and eighth grader. Uh, neither neither boy pitches. I've got one. My younger son catches. My oldest son now is just starting to pitch because I feel like he throws properly. What would you do? What would be his first uh, moments with you? What would you test him on? What would you look at? What would you ask him? Uh, to, just for a parent who doesn't have a background with you, they bring their kid in. What can I expect? So the first thing I do is I look, what is this kid's body type? Is this kid muscular enough? I'm, you know, at a kid that age, we're not looking to be overly muscular. Basically, is he, this is a really skinny kid or not? The really skinny kid I worry about. Um, I check his posture right away. I find that their posture is very poor between sitting in class all day, sitting on the phone all day, video games. They're just curving down and collapsing into gravity, which very much compromises their shoulder blade position, um, which sets the function for the rotator cuff. And then everything else out the arm is compromised because of that. So my initial thing would be, you know, we got to sit up straight. We got to stretch your pecs. We got to strengthen you in the back. Um, I'm a big believer in a posterior dominant shoulder which I know uh, Kevin Wilk and, and uh, Dr. Andrews down in Alabama are big fans of. Um, so we're not really getting that. We're not seeing that. So that's going to be the first thing I go after. Besides postures, we'll check their motions, and they're usually good. The younger kids, the motion thing is usually it's a looseness issue. There's not too many young kids unless they suddenly really grew or too tight. They're usually very, very loose. And these shoulders are all over the place. Um, then we'll take a good, a good strength look at their – specifically their cuff – um, when I do my manual test for strength, most people press for like a second or two. Oh, I like to hold it. I want to see, can this kid hold this for five seconds without cheating? 10 seconds without cheating? Because a two-second test, in my opinion, has very little correlation to 65 pitches. Not that the 10-second test is really that much better, but it's five times better than a two-second test. So is he displaying any kind of endurance at all? Um, honestly, though, my best assessment for me is not really in the test. I'll put the kid on a little program the first day. Let's try a couple things and let's see how you hold up. Do you fall apart with a little endurance? Do you fall apart at higher arm slots? Um, and it's a very much look and see. And, and you know, I feel the way I do this, everything I see, the parents can see as well. So the parent has an aha moment. So I allow the parents to come in the office on the first day. And I, I don't feel like I ever have to explain what I found. They look at it, they see. And, and even dad's like, yeah, that's not good. Okay, so you see what needs to get done. But but the first thing definitely is just a gross physical assessment. Body type, posture. I'll check them in sitting. These kids' sitting postures are terrible nowadays. Terrible. Oh, yeah. And I, we, we talked earlier about specialization in sport and, and the importance of possibly being a two-sport athlete. I heard I learned this term for the first time. I'm 50 years old. I'd never heard it until this summer. A, a 15-year-old mentioned it to me. He referred to himself as a PO. And in today's world, I'm thinking, what is that? A new pronoun they're talking about here? A PO? And, uh, but I found out that meant pitcher only. Uh, I'd never heard of such a thing. I was like, is that fun? Like these kids are athletes. Um, how much, what does that mean to you when you're looking at a kid's PO? Is that, uh, I always think specialization equals extinction. I mean, if they're PO and that boy, you're probably weighing yourself out of the game. What, what, What does that 
if that distinction mean to you? You you can't believe how many of these I see as young as 13 years old. You know what that honestly means to me? This kid can't hit. Yeah, right. <laughs> if he can hit, they're not going to take his bat out of the lineup. Um, I think what happened, look, kids hate to spend time on things they're not good at, whether it's a sport or a physical activity or a class. Whatever class they're, they're the worst at, they continue to be the worst at because they hate it, because they're not good at it. So when the kid can't hit and he can pitch, he spends all of his time pitching and there's no more hitting. So as a position player, he rides the bench and he realizes his best opportunity to get in the game is to be a pitcher. So now he's a PO. And, and making him a PO at such a young age drives me crazy. Oh, it's not. And you're, here's an my athlete. you're an athlete. Dude, play. Yeah, these coaches out there, and we all know the percentages of a kid going from even college baseball to professional baseball or high school to college. It's very small. So these these kids, 99% of these kids playing are never going to play collegially or even definitely not play for money. So the role of the coach shouldn't be to win that little ring and to put these kids in the compartmental, you know, just compartmentalize them so early. It should be to teach them teach them the game, the parts they're not good at. So this is my soapbox right now. Sorry to take this show to the right. I agree with you completely. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I hate when I hear that. And it's, just, it's who cares if the kid, you teach the kid how to hit. Don't make them a, you know, and Jim and I talk about this too with young kids. A kid shouldn't be typecast even as a shortstop at the age of eight or nine or 10 or eight. Learn other spots, let them play. I go through that with my, my younger son. He's a good catcher, rightfully so. He's worked his tail off. But this summer, he played for me with a college age group at the as a, as an eighth grader. He played every other position but catcher. I didn't want him anywhere near catching for for a good two month period. And then at the end, I rewarded him. He got to catch the bigger kids, the older kids. But I wanted him to learn other spots. He's been typecast for so long with with other programs. But yeah, I I, uh, I, I hate that the PO. I learned PO this summer. Well, you know, guys, there's there's two things that came to mind when when Vinny was explaining that. Um, the first one was we've talked many, many times that because of early specialization and, and the lack of multi-sport athletes, um, especially in the Charlotte area to further down south when they have warm weather and there's not so much a change of season and we're fighting against uh, people that are playing year-round, so they're not playing other sports then the real killer becomes that they're playing travel ball and they're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and they're only playing one position. So we're losing the opportunity to kind of lessen the blow of early specialization on one sport by at least playing different positions in the field and learning different motor skills <clears throat> and different ways to compete at something, as Vinny stated, you know, maybe you're not that good at to begin with. Um, the second thing is <clears throat> that uh, that research project that the uh, they did in the math class uh, that we've spoken of, uh, when one group was rewarded for always getting the right answer and the other group was rewarded for their effort. <clears throat> and when they revisited the two groups at the end of the school year, and they gave them a math problem that was a little bit higher than what their you know class had been learning up to that moment in time. The group that was continually rewarded on performance or getting the right answer gave up and quit on the problem very early. And then the group that was rewarded for effort <clears throat> stuck it out and grinded it out and finally came up with an answer. So I think a lot of that relates to... Uh, 
what you had stated, Vinny, about you know young young ball players not wanting to do what they're bad at, and I think that comes from, as Dave has said many times over, we're chasing a ring, we're chasing there every single time that you have a conversation with an with a, a young coach or an adult or a parent or a young player, and you ask them, hey, how'd the weekend go? Everything is based on performance. Oh, we won. Oh, I got four hits. Oh, we did this. And that's why a lot of times when I asked that question, I said, no, 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 I, I didn't ask you how you performed. I asked, how'd you feel? Yeah. You know, what, what did you experience? Um, when things kind of got off the tracks a little bit, how did you adjust? You know, all about more about performance and being part of the process <clears throat> so that they are willing um, to start to do things that they're not good at. I mean, for the typical young pitcher, let's say, <clears throat> we did a segment where we discussed some of the characteristics that affect, you know, the, the age-old question, when should my son or daughter start pitching? And there was a lot of physical things, and there was a lot of mental things, and there was benchmarks. There's some boxes that needed to be ticked, checked off in order for uh, for us to progress. And part of that was, um, as you've stated, Vinny, pitching's not about getting up on that mound on Friday night or Saturday afternoon. Pitching is about all the pr- preparation that goes into being able to pitch, being able to do things properly. So if you're a parent and all of a sudden your 12-year-old wants to start pitching, the question is, no, does your 12-year-old want to start with the proper workouts, with the proper close-chain kinetic exercise, which are difficult to do? And it's a lot of work. And a lot of times when you say about, uh, you know, video games and all the different distractions that we have going on, our society as a whole is not very good at handling work any longer. Um, And so the whole concept of workload and applying yourself in areas that you're not good at, I I haven't seen too many 12-year-olds that the first time you ask them to do a bodyweight squat, they do it successfully. You know, so there's, they're going to have to apply themselves and put effort into things that they aren't good at. And if the, if the young ball player is ready to do that, then we're, we're starting down the right path to when should my son start pitching. Uh, and, and that's the difficulty that, that I see on a daily basis. Yeah, I actually have a really good question for you guys. That I don't know how to answer, but along those lines of, of preparing to do the work, obviously when you're younger – you know, everything's about development, in my opinion. You know, you should be developing, you should be having fun, but it's really about the process and it is about your effort. When you're an adult, when you're in college, your college professor doesn't care how hard you tried. He only cares that you did. Your boss will not care how hard you tried, only that you did. When is that transition? When does that happen? I I, I don't know. I don't I have no idea how to answer that. Well, from my perspective on the, if we're going to zero in on the, on the pitching side of it uh, because of all the different injuries that we're seeing now is um, when the, when the benchmarks are checked, chronological age, uh, skeletal maturation, um, musculature, um, the physical aspects of that, then we're, 
we're on the field, we're, we're practicing, we're working out. Uh, are we doing things efficiently? Are we creating force but controlling force? This all comes through our proper pitching mechanics. Um, when we've eliminate, eliminated the mental side of always trying harder, uh, throw harder, throw faster, hit harder, hit farther, and we then are learning to be part of the process when those mental sides are going. We start to check all those benchmarks and everything's done properly. Now we can start discussing, you know, um, you know what your ERA was last season or, or different things that are performance related. But we have to learn to develop our motor skills to create the proper foundation, to create the proper movement patterns. Um, I related a story <clears throat> with Dave a while back of a high school, young high school pitcher drafted in the second round by the Milwaukee Brewers. I believe it was my second year as pitching coordinator. And uh, he shows up. Great kid with a great arm, right? A little undersized. So he's about six foot tall, 160 pounds, right? Second round draft pick just out of high school. And uh, the quickest way to describe this is he has extremely tight hip flexors. So he has a forward, forward tilt to the pelvis. So he's got the old man walk going on. And he's, you know, just turned 18 years old. And immediately, <clears throat> scouts and some of the other development people were like, when they read the scouting report, were like, uh, listen, if we get this guy stronger, he's going to be pretty awesome. But he hadn't even learned yet how to move properly. So to teach him how to create more force before that he would be moving in an efficient manner, most of that force wasn't going to get to the ball and he was going to break down even sooner than if we just let him go the way he was. So. Um, one of my Facebook posts a while back had to do with the, the different factors, um, external factors and internal factors on when, you know, when the child is ready to pitch and then later on when the child's ready to throw a curveball. A lot of those factors are, are the same factors that go into, are we doing things properly? And now that we are, you know, we can build on the competitive nature of that individual. Would, would you guys both agree? And if you don't, please, please say so. Um, I thought about it as you're, and I'm with you quite a bit, Jim. So I, I, I learn, uh, more than you, than you would, you would possibly know as, as we're talking informally and informally on the air, but let's say you, you've got a pitcher and, you know, the first order business, once you get past, once you get through the mechanics of throwing short distance and they're finally on the mound, you can, you can mirror process with some small results. The problem I think sometimes is, the kids are at one stage with process mentally and physically and what's being asked of them in terms of results or how they're judging themselves or most probable, probably some adult is judging them the wrong way. But when they're on the mound the first time, like my, my son the other day, my thing for him was, Hey, let's learn to throw your four seam fastball over 17 inches. And then once we're mechanically sound there and you're, pre you're precise, we can split the plate in half. And then once you're precise there, we can split it in the quadrants. But I guess the point I made with him was let's be precise first. And then your body and your mind will tell you when it's time to speed up or get more powerful. Is that oversimplifying it? Not at all. Not to me. No, I, I think that's a good way to go about it. But I, I would, what I do on, uh, on a regular basis is that uh, 
once I have the young pitcher start to feel what he's doing so he can replicate that movement pattern. Um, you know, yesterday I had a young guy and the, the entire bullpen that we threw was based on him feeling his center of gravity. So t- in, in layman's term, I just say to the young guy, his belly button, um, accelerate your belly button through your front hip. And it took his entire focus away from his hand on the ball and his arm and his thought process by trying to analyze and break it down. And his whole focus was to feel the acceleration of the upper body, basically. And he was shocked because he threw the, he threw nine out of the next 10 pitches exactly to the spot that he was looking at. It's great. Um, so these are the, these are little, these are little tricks that I use. Sometimes you want to call them verbal triggers. I have to come up with the verbal triggers that produce the proper feel and movement pattern in the individual I'm working with. Key point. You said they're the individual. It's not cookie cutter, right? You're, you're, you got the learning strategy. You learn how that kid socialized. You actually spend time with them. And that one cue may not be the same cue you give to somebody else because I think that's a, that's a key point I think our parents want to understand. I always ask the question, how can you tell the difference? They get that with you on the air all the time. When they hear you, they, they certainly can tell the difference between you and some cookie cutter guy. But is, is, am I correct in saying that? That, that that was individual to that young man? Yes. Yeah. Every individual processes information and learns in a different manner. I mean, we can categorize them, but even within that categorization, there's differences. Um, you know, a, a lot of times what I say to young players is, um, listen, every time I see you, I need you to ask me a question. And sometimes, you know, I mean, some of these parents are, are bringing in a nine-year-old and is it my first inclination to work with a nine-year-old? No, but they're already pitching and they're doing it the wrong way. So I have to help them learn how to throw the proper way. So for that nine-year-old, sometimes I'll say to him, listen, and, and I know you're not, you're not, you know, you're not the most talkative guy. And usually the parents tell me beforehand, oh, that he's never going to say anything for a long while. He just, he's shy. He doesn't talk and the whole thing. And I make it mandatory to ask me a question. And sometimes I say, listen, to start off easy, you can ask me what I ate for breakfast this morning. But eventually we're going to ask, we're going to move into baseball questions. Um, If you want to build up and ask, you know, what's my favorite team or who's my favorite player? Okay. And we're progressing. But eventually we're going to get to a a question that concerns, how do you feel? How did you adjust this weekend? Did anything pop up in your game? What did we do during our session today that you have a question about? And the reason I do that is because I say to them, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at giving you some guidance and structure on what to do and how to do it correctly. But since this is all about how you feel, I'm not a mind reader, so I have no idea how you feel unless you get to the point where then you can discuss it with me. And this puts them in a mindset of 
that they have to be part of the process because at the end of our session, they're responsible for asking me a question. And if they don't come up with one, then it's like, all right, next week when I see them, you, you know, you owe me two questions. And if the questions start mounting up, that child, that young player says, I better start asking questions because, you know, it's, it's getting embarrassing. You know, my mom or my dad looks at me and, and I don't have any questions. And you know what happens? There's kids that I've worked with for the past year or two. They come see me. And before we even get started, they tell me everything that happened in their life over the course of the past week. And then a lot of it has to do with when I was at practice, I did this. Here's what happened in the game. Uh, there was a couple of errors by the shortstop. I, uh, I remember some of the things you talk about focusing on the next pitch. I remember um, the things that uh, I learned from uh, the book you recommended from Dr. Curtis, um win the next pitch on some of the mental skills that could be taught to, to, to young players. And this gets them in the process and they don't even realize that it happened because I don't talk to them at their age level of, listen, we need you to be part of the process. And when you do the, no, 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 that's, that's for the older guys. It's about thinking, asking questions, building a relationship, getting to know them. And then you start to see how they better function. I have a question on that, Jim. So it sounds like your assessment, it actually sounds like your assessment is a lot like mine. And it's very much based on your observation and your your knowledge and your expertise and years of experience. Um, but not everybody has that. So how are parents supposed to know? And I always give the same analogy. You want to buy a refrigerator. Look, there's consumer reports for that. You want to buy a car and there's a variety of websites you can look up what's a good car and what's not a good car. But that doesn't exist for what we're talking about. So how are people supposed to know? And we do the same thing medically. How do you know this doctor is a good surgeon? How do you know the therapist is any good? How do you know this pitching coach is any good? You find out, you know, after after your kid gets hurt. But like, how, how do I don't know how to get that information out to people. Well, the the analogy that I always use is, uh, and I've, I've stated it many times now, but um, you hire a carpenter to go put crown molding in your dining room, nice crown molding around the ceilings and the floors and the whole thing. And you're pretty excited and you're pretty pumped up. And that, you know, you go to one of these websites or, you know, one of these uh, references from somebody, whichever the way you found the guy and you thought you did your research and everything was proper. And he shows up with a hacksaw and you look at him and you go, a hacksaw. And he goes, yeah, I'm a, I'm a magician with this hacksaw. Well, that guy's not a professional. He's either selling hacksaws or he's selling his ability to use that hacksaw. And I know that's kind of a simple analogy, but the, the, the process is that when you're looking for someone to help your young ball player, so let's say it's a travel ball coach. Well, is development the first issue or is winning the first issue? Is that travel ball coach have their sons playing the positions and nobody rotates around the field? Um, you know, in that case, you can talk to other parents that are in that program or, you know, or sometimes why did people leave a program? What I'm getting at it, 
It's just like when you're going in to buy a new car. Is that salesman there to try to help you get the car you want? Or is that salesman attempting to sell cars to meet his quota for the month? It's, it's part of human nature, and it's part of what needs to be done. Who's there to help that young player, or who's there to attach themselves to that young player? A lot of times, especially with showcase baseball, next thing you know, there's a guy that dominates the action, and he's a great athlete, and he's everything. And next thing you know, there's an entourage of people helping him. You see it in professional sports. I've been involved in situations where when obvious studs playing in double A, all of a sudden the hitting coach is their best buddy. Why? Because this guy is going to be maybe Prince Fielder and play first base and hit 50 home runs. Well, I'm going to have my name attached to this guy because then it's going to help me sell more of my book or sell more of my training sessions or sell more of people coming to my facility. Um, you know, perfect game baseball, you go to a perfect game tournament and next thing you know, you see all the pictures of big leaguers who had played a perfect game. But the crazy thing about it is perfect game didn't have anything to do in the development of that player, but they've attached their name to that player. So these are all the things that, you know, um, they're, it's not easy because you got a lot of used car salesmen, snake oil salesmen out there. But these are the things that, is that person there to help the individual? That's the key. You know, and if we can decipher that, it's not a perfect science, but if we can, um, we end up, you know, probably doing what's best uh, for that young player. Um, and it's difficult. It's difficult. And, and that's part of the reason why uh, Vinny... We had you on today. That's part of the reason that uh, I agreed to do the podcast with Dave, and we we pitched, picked this little niche as far as uh, player development for all ages. Um, to finish up today, uh, for the audience, the first conversations I had with Vinny, it was more of an email exchange and different things because uh, Vinny works closely with my uh, – my young, my youngest brother, Mike Rooney, who's the head baseball coach at Don Bosco Prep. And uh, through my brother's hard work and some contacts that he has up in the area uh, of North New Jersey, um, we've b- begun to take on a project called uh, Pitching Kinetics. Uh, there's a facility being outfitted currently up uh, about four miles from uh, – Don Bosco Prep. Vinny uh, has agreed to uh, be part of this process uh, and working on um, specifically to start pitching development for some people who want to enroll in the program. And the program will consist of uh, initially Vinny doing physical assessments, putting his hands on guys and making his recommendations of some of the things that they have to do. You know, similar to the conversation we've had earlier about, uh, you know, postural strength and stability and all the things that Vinny broke, you know, brought up when he first sees a a client, an individual. Then when the person's uh, welcomed into the program and put on the right exercise prescription, uh, there's going to be high quality 
athletic trainers, pitching coaches, uh, the full gamut of individuals, strength coaches to help them with those programs. I'm then going to step in on the throwing side of it. And um, a lot of the different throwing programs and different things will be evaluated by myself. I will do a complete video analysis of the individual. That individual then is, you know, fully, uh, fully into the program. And the initial, uh, I'm not going to say trial, but the initial start of this program is going to be, it's going to run from October 15th to March. So some of the uh, exercise prescription, strength prescription, athletic performance subscription, the things to do to prepare an individual to pitch will be, uh, you know, attacked in the early parts, the early months of the fall the later months of the fall into the Christmas vacation and then the throwing programs. As Vinny had stated earlier, he tries to have people start with their throwing programs, you know, um, the start of the new year into the second week of January. And we're going to take all these pitchers that enroll into the program and get them ready for their upcoming spring season. So this is the inaugural, the inaugural, inaugural season that we're going to attempt to do this. Um, Personally, from getting to know Vinny, um, I mean, he, I, we're, we're both in the baseball world. We both end up are trying to do this because of our backgrounds and trying to help uh, young ball players. I mean that that's obvious. But when I hear him talk, and we've exchanged emails and and different thoughts on different areas, and we bring Vinny on as a guest today. And 90% of what he went over and the different things that he firmly believes in, um, we've discussed with other, other individuals who have the same uh, passion for trying to help people as he does. And uh, it's just amazing uh, that this project is going to come to fruition. Uh, a lot of hard work put in by many individuals up in that New York metro area uh, and we have to thank my brother, Mike, for uh, trying to get this whole thing off the ground. Um, the question I have for you, Vinny, is uh, you saw all the stuff. You saw all the stuff that my brother's trying to put together. We've had some conversations. You're already helping ballplayers in your own private practice. What was the driving force that you said you wanted to be part of this project? I think this gives me a better opportunity to help more people. Um, this was an easy sell for Mike. I've worked with Mike for an, a probably a good dozen years now, and I have tremendous respect for him. And he's one of the few coaches that I've dealt with that unequivocally in my mind, he puts the health and welfare of the, of the student, the child, um, first and foremost. That is the biggest priority, and very few coaches around here do that. So um, I love working with him. Um, he called me to describe the process to me and the project. And uh, well before he asked me to be on board, I think I volunteered. Um, I, I just like the concept of it. I think if we can prevent these things from happening, I think this is great. And, you know, in conversations I have with you today and, and looking at some of your printed stuff before, you and I very much seem to be on the same page. I certainly know that Mike and I are on the same page. Um, and I just think this might be a good way for us to develop um, better kids to make more kids. I think it's a more issue for me. Um, I think it's about development in, in reference to performance and safety. 
And I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. And I think this program is looking to meld them together. I think it's good. So guys, when, uh, just so the audience knows the name of the project, when it's going to start and, and how do they get involved? Well, currently the name of the project is Pitching Kinetics and the initial facility, which, which will be uh, applying all these principles is uh, going to be called the Advanced Player Academy. It's in, uh, it's approximately four miles from uh, Don Bosco Prep in Ramsey, New Jersey. I believe it's Waldwick, New yeah, Jersey. I believe it's Waldwick. Yes. Um, initially, um, initially, individuals up in the New York metro area can contact um, my brother, Mike Rooney, at Don Bosco Prep. Um, part of this process is that there will be uh, an app developed to help with all the uh, off-site type of training and where the athlete uh, ball player can check in and, and go over some of the stuff. Uh, as it's, uh, as it's been stated, there's, um, you know, there's going to be quality staff at the facility. Um, however, a lot of the programming, because you're dealing with a lot of athletes, a lot of pitchers that are, are playing in many different areas, a lot of that, uh, programming and exercise prescription is going to be available through the app, um, including the video analysis. Um, that's going to be completed shortly. And when that's completed, then there's going to be a lot more contact information, how to go directly to the, uh, to the project itself. Um, so I will we'll keep everybody on the podcast updated and, uh, at uh, my Facebook page, Rooney Baseball, we're going to keep it updated there also for announcements as they come our way. And at the current time, that's probably the best way to go about it. And, and the hope is to start this October. Yes, yes. Oh. And, uh, and I mean, we're going to work on this project. We're going to make it successful up in New Jersey. And then the uh, the the structure and the protocols and the different things that Vinny, myself, uh, uh, the other individuals on staff, um, you know, by putting our collective thoughts together to develop this entire thing, um, a long-term goal, and we'll see it. We'll see how it transpires after the successful uh, implementation of the project at the facility in New Jersey is to then um, possibly bring it down to the Charlotte area and long-term, you know, possibly, um, you know, advance all the training protocols so that there's a lot of online possibilities, a lot of distance training. And if other facilities want to uh, get involved in the process. Well, as you're driving through Charlotte, don't forget me and Myrtle Beach. This is true. <laughs> That's it. Stop by. But uh, Vinny, what kind of message you want to leave the audience with today? Protect your kids. Nobody should be a better advocate for your children than you. <clears throat> use your common sense. Use your parenting sense. Um, no, try to get an idea for what's too much. Um, let's not push the kids too hard. Let's keep them safe and make sure that they have fun. Yeah, it's important. Well, Jim, how about yourself? Well. Um, 
First thing I want everybody to know is that during the course of this uh, past hour, I've basically been sitting here with a big smile on my face because um, sometimes when we do what we do and we try to help people, you know, we do have a belief and a self-confidence that we're doing the right thing. But then to uh, to hear someone of uh, Vinnie Perez's experience and and accreditations and things that he's accomplished over the course of his 37 year career as a physical therapist to hear him start to confirm some of the things that we've been talking about on this show for quite a few weeks now, um, you know, couldn't make me happier and realize that, um, more of this has to get done and, and we have to get out there and help these people as as much as we can. And, um, if we can accomplish that, then, Everything that we're attempting to do will be uh, well worth it. I think that's great. I, I get asked a question all the time. And again, I have a hard time figuring it out sometimes. And we go back and forth. Former professional athlete, former college coach. I'm a dad. How do you tell the difference between the, the guys that are the real deal and the guys that are, they know the first 10 words, but they can't tell you the next 10 in the process. So parents that are trying to figure out that same question, coaches, Listen to this podcast again because you got two guys right now that should that's this should set your bar for you. Don't ever accept anything less than what these two guys offer. And if you don't, you'll end up with some really quality people. The humility that you two exhibit throughout this podcast and Jim with you day to day with me is amazing to me because you you both have accomplished so much in, in your respective fields. And here you are trying to give back to prevent young kids and families from going through the horrific arm injuries that we're seeing out there in baseball, almost a billion dollars spent on injured major league baseball players. this year. not just pitchers. Pitching was about half of that, but uh, I commend you two on both of what you're doing and uh, let, let uh, real voices of the game, our network know how we can help promote pitching kinetics. Of course, we have Jim Rooney on with toe the rubber every week, but Vinny Perez, don't be shy letting us know how we can help. And then that advanced player Academy, I'm going to take a trip up there myself. I want to see that with my own eyes uh, when it happens. And, when the app gets established, you got your first customer here uh, with, with me and my son. So we appreciate that. I know I appreciate you guys. And I, I know the baseball world, if they don't, um, they're going to uh, for what you guys are trying to take on here. So thanks so much for what you're doing. Um, Jim, any last questions for Vinny? Or Vinny, any last questions for us? No, I yep. think we covered an awful lot. Oh, a ton. Well, I kept you guys overtime. This was like a 15-inning game right here, an hour and 15 minutes. Um, but yeah, for all Dave, I, I just want to thank Vinny for taking time out of his busy schedule to, to add to what we're doing here. And uh, in closing, uh, we've gone over this uh, quite a few times. Uh, my email, coachjim at rooneybaseball.com. If anybody has some questions about the uh, the project that we're undertaking, Pitching Kinetics, feel free to send me an email or even contact Dave You know, through the show. Uh, and this way we'll, we'll try to get this information out as quick as possible and answer your questions and see that, uh, maybe there's a fit that, uh, this project is something that would, uh, help your young ball player or your young coach. And we'll take it from there. I think it's a no brainer. Um, so we have 50,000 plus subscribers out there that just got your email on this project. So flood them with emails, ask questions about this program, um, do your own homework, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to be, this is going to fly and it's going to fly in a hurry. 74 countries now. So hopefully you have your, your translator out, Jim, when you're getting, you're getting emails from everybody because um, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. I'll tell you what, all you MLB front offices out there in the 900 colleges that subscribe, you may want to give Jim a call. 
just just a suggestion here. Um, but I want to thank you guys for everything you did today and the information you passed on to our faithful listeners. Thank you again to our listeners for pushing us so hard. We're now, we got our cup of coffee on iHeartRadio. Now keep us there. Give Jim five stars today. Write some great comments underneath and make sure that you uh, continue to help us battle the podcast world analytics a lot like we're doing in baseball today. So with that episode 304 right now, year and a half, 304 episodes uh, in the books, Toe the Rubber with Jim Rooney. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Dave. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Thank you. So still you can hear the sound of baseball falls to the ground. Now the little boy doesn't say a word. Picks up his ball. He is undeterred. 